Well, good morning. Greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Those of you who have King James, we're going to be reading with me this morning. We're beginning message six of separation and nonconformity series. This after today will be halfway through. So thinking about separation and nonconformity, um, this passage here in Hebrews chapter 11 says a lot. Those of you who have King James read with me beginning at verse 13 and reading to verse through verse 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Thank you. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. I want to notice several things. I'm going to read this whole psalm. I want to notice several things as we go through. Or for you to notice. I'm not going to come back and make any comments, many comments about this passage. But in verses 1 through 6, I want you to notice how creation speaks. Then in verses 7 through 11, how God's law speaks. And then... In verses 11 through 13, how David speaks. And then his final comments in the last verse. We'll look at a little more closely. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is going out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run a race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from, cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The message this morning 
is about separation in speech. The title of the message is, Say What? As a question. Say what? What are you saying? Is your speech separate? The reason that I, there are several reasons why I read this psalm. One of them is, has to do with all the speaking that is going on. And I really caught my eye that it says there in, I don't have the, the verse written down, but it's talking about the creation. It says their words have gone out to all the earth. And we don't think about the creation speaking words. But the creation does speak to us of God. <clears throat> but the last verse, verse 14. Well, let me back up and say, Another reason why I read this is because of the relationship of the law of God to us as human beings and how it brings in then as the creation speaks and then it brings in the whole idea of the law. And it says, through that law, your servant is warned. There's a, there's a speaking that happens as a result of that law. And then David starts to appeal to God and, and talk about himself and says, cleanse me. I need to be cleansed. I see this creation speaking. I see this law. Now something needs to happen to me. And you're the source of that. And then verse 14, he says, may the words of my mouth, may the words that come from me and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May they also speak in the way that you want me to speak. May they also speak. And then he finishes up, my Lord, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So I want us to get this idea of a connection, the connection between the heart and the, and the voice, the heart and the mouth, the heart and what we speak that David's referring to here. But then also I want us to catch his last several words, my strength and my Redeemer. There's two things being said there in the idea of strength and Redeemer. There's a complete dependence on God. In strength, it's the idea of the ability to do things. David is saying that I have a complete dependence on you for the ability to do things. You are my strength. In Redeemer, he's saying the opportunity to be changed into doing things right. So not just to do things, my strength, but also that I can do those things right because you are my redeemer. You redeem what was wrong and make it right. And he has a complete dependence on God in that statement in relation to his heart and to his mouth. I want to also think about Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 34b. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's this connection between the heart and the things that we say. Now I want to jump to something else. It's the book of James. The book of James talks about the tongue. And it has some pretty radical things to say about the human tongue. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to bring up a few of the things that it says. That it's an unruly evil. That it's a fire that it's a world of iniquity. That sounds pretty bad. That sounds as bad as 
some evil things that we encounter today, doesn't it? The tongue can no man tame. Sounds pretty out of control. It's all these evil things and then we can't tame it. Well, I want to also think about in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, what it says about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that little phrase, who can know it, refers to or gives the implication that it's out of control. If I can't know what it is, then I don't really have control over it because I I don't really know what the contents are. So Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the heart's desperately wicked, who can know it? And it's out of control. And then the tongue becomes an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Something that's also out of control. We can't tame it. So it sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? Well, sin is something that comes forth out of a broken world. It doesn't come forth as a cause. It comes forth as an effect. It comes out because the world and we ourselves are broken. The reason why David needed a redeemer was because David was broken. David was not as he should have been when he was born. He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And sin comes out of that brokenness as an effect of the brokenness. And so when sin happens, there's always a root underneath that is producing that sin, that's producing that effect. And in the last several messages, I've been trying to work us toward an understanding that our pride and our self-identity is at the root of our sin. And for sin to be fully resolved, to be it really for it to really be dealt with, we have to deal with the root. Yes, we have to deal with the effect, but we also have to deal with the root of sin. And so I've been trying to help us get to what it talks about in Romans 6. And I know I talked about this in, in a message, I think two messages ago. But Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. See, there has to be death that happens to deal with that root of sin. Death to that pride and self-identity has to happen to deal with that root of sin that the, the sin is coming forth out of. And just the, the, the picture, the typology of, of the Tower of Babel, well, even back to Cain, you start at Cain and you see Cain not making the appropriate sacrifice. And then you see Cain's grandson or great-grandson, one or the other, Lamech, going from, from, from Cain's, from God's pronouncement that Cain would, Cain would be avenged to Lamech 
taking the right of vengeance seven times. So you see, the, it begins with a, not the appropriate sacrifice. Then you see Cain, Cain's great-grandson Lamech. Then you see makers of, makers of iron coming forth out of that. And you see all this wickedness and evil that's happening in the world. And then comes the flood. Because the life, life became so evil on the world that God repented that He had even made man to start with. And He said, I'm going to destroy the world. And then you have the flood. And Noah was righteous in his generation. Mark read about Noah in the devotional this morning, I believe. Noah was righteous. And out of Noah came another seed of man, another beginning of mankind out of righteous Noah. And you take that a few generations and you're at the Tower of Babel. And man is, is ready to build himself a, a building of pride and self-identity that will give him the capacity to reach to heaven and to be his own God. And God confuses the languages. Speech. God confuses the languages, okay? But that tower is not demolished. They're forced apart. They're forced to leave. But that tower of pride is not demolished. And a couple more generations, and you have the fruit of that coming out as a demonstration, as an example in Sodom and Gomorrah. The effect came forth from that pride and self-identity of humanity. And sin was again ruling. Sin ruled before the flood. God destroyed it. Came up again out of the heart of man. God separated man. And again, sin ruled. Because the root was not dealt with. So I've tried to bring us to that point where we understand that we have to deal with the root, meaning our pride, our self-identity, our reputation has to be laid out before God. We have to be at the end of ourselves before Him. And we've given up our life. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That means to bring it into yourself. And then a new life comes out. It's the life of Christ. Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you also should walk in newness of life. So there's this new life that comes out. But it's not your life. It's Christ's life. Christ in you. Christ living in you. And so now what's being built out of that is Christ is being built. And so your life, now the, the effect of your life is no more pride and self-identity ruling to sin, but rather it is Christ in you ruling to righteousness. And so right living comes out as a result of the root of Christ in you. So I want to build the message this morning on Jesus' words there in Matthew 12, 34, where he's talking to the Pharisees and 
I think I sent out this passage for you to read. It's a, it's a little bit a little bit wider section of, of a passage there, but I'm just going to pull out this verse. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now I'm going to look at this idea of out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh in two ways. The first one is that the contents of the heart are the source of our speech. So what is in your heart is the source of what is coming out of your mouth. So for our speech to be right, that means that our heart needs to be right. Your heart is the place that holds the things that you love. It's what holds your passions. And so your speech is an outlet of your passions. The second way I'm going to look at it is not a whole lot different from this, but I want to emphasize this idea. So I talked two messages ago about the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, where Peter preaches that sermon, and those, those listeners were pricked in their hearts, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And I, I brought out four aspects of the heart that were affected by their repentance. <clears throat> the mind, the conscience, the emotion, and the will. And I'd like to look, I'd like to contrast the difference of heart between the Christian and the unbeliever, the converted person and the unconverted person. The mind, from a mind that's focused on, the, on myself and my carnal life to a mind that is focused on Christ and is the mind of Christ. <clears throat> a conscience. A conscience that's guided by my training to a conscience that's guided by the truth. The emotion. A desire to please myself to a desire to please God. And the will. From doing my own will to doing the will of God. And so we have this really dramatic difference of the heart between the unconverted and the converted person. The difference of desire, the difference of conscience, the difference of their mind are all changed. Peter said, after he told them, he said, repent and be converted, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I want to read from Galatians 4, verses 4 to 6. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so, what happens in conversion is that something new is in the heart of the converted person. And that new thing is the presence of God. And that new presence speaks right away. In verse 6, it says, crying, Abba, Father. 
And so there's immediately a voice that comes forth out of the Spirit of God dwelling in the heart of the converted person. And so, those who are converted will speak different things than those who are unconverted, who are unsaved. I'd like to focus in a little bit on the mind as an aspect of the heart. So the mind, I'd like for you to think about the mind as the gate of the heart. Everything that comes in to your heart and the things that go out of your heart are processed and go through the gate of your mind. And so knowledge is received and then it's communicated out through the mind. And I want us to notice the connection. I'm going to read a passage. You can turn there if you want to. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want, I'm going to read a passage and I want you to think about the connection between the heart content and then what is being spoken and what is being discerned. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, beginning of verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And your faith, that your faith should not live, be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So in this passage, Paul lays out to them that no one knows what God is thinking except the Spirit of God. And that Spirit comes in and dwells in the believer and gives him a capacity to discern the things that God has for him as a believer. And Paul says we discern those things, we have the capacity to discern those things, and we speak those things. These things we also speak. Not with man's wisdom, 
but the Holy Ghost wisdom. So, have you had a change of mind? If you've been converted, you've had a change of mind. Nobody knows, nobody can really, who can know their heart? Who can know, who can tame their tongue? Man can't, but God can. So if God is in you, then you have something to see into your heart and to know your heart. And you have something to tame your tongue, to control your tongue. The Spirit of God, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. The ability to be controlled. So we have the tools to change our minds. God, the gift, maybe I should say, to change our minds. And then consequently, our speech. So do you think before you speak? You do. You always think before you speak. Because the things that you say are coming out of your mind. The problem is that you're not always filtering those things as well as you should. Consciously. But if you're saying it, it's coming out of your mind. And I saw Brent back there shaking his head. And he was thinking about that you're not consciously thinking about what you're saying sometimes. And he's right. You don't always. But when those things come out, what does that mean to us? When that thing comes out that I shouldn't have said, where did that come from? came from something inside of me and it may be something that I need to repent about and turn over to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to change in my life. Because now you have God's mind training your mind. You have God working in you and not just to correct what is wrong but also to bring forth an effect that is right. So what's going to happen when you stand before governors and kings for Christ's sake? He's going to give you the words to say, isn't he? So after they received the Spirit in Acts, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Remember what happened at Babel? The languages were confused and they couldn't communicate with each other. At Pentecost, everyone heard in his own language. There was a restoration. The coming of the Spirit of God into the heart of man is the restoration of the heart. It's the restoration of the life. It's the restoration of humanity. So how will the Spirit give to you? Maybe you have something difficult to do. Maybe you have a devotional to share. Maybe you have a topic. Maybe you have a Sunday school class to teach. Will the Spirit give to you? Would give you utterance? It will give you utterance. It's there. God is waiting. He is wanting to give you things to say to bring Him glory. Our job is to be at that place of humility and surrender that allows Him to work. That giving up of ourselves and our taking up our cross daily and following Him. 
To me, the battleground of nonconformity is not in dress. To me, the most difficult verse in the Bible on nonconformity is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. Because it talks about the battle. Because there's a battle that we're engaging in in this process, in this thing of our speech. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's bringing your mind completely into the obedience of Christ. To me, that's a challenge that I have a long way to work and to grow in. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exhausteth itself against God, all that pride, all the things in my mind, all the pride and all the self-identity and all those things that I want to, that want to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, bringing all of that down to obedience to Him. Every thought. And then verse 6, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience that your obedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. And being ready to do that with everything that comes along, being ready to deal with, a young person asked me recently how to, how to be victorious in their thought life. And I said, you have to just knock it down and knock it down and knock it down. You just have to keep putting down those areas in your thought life that aren't like they ought to be, taking them to the cross and killing them. And that needs to happen so that Romans 8.4 can happen. So Romans 6.6 6 needs to happen about the, the crucifying the old man so that Romans 8.4 can happen. So that's a progression. For what the, I'm going to start at verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When we walk after the Spirit, when we follow the Spirit and its directives in our lives, then the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in us. And that word righteousness there is also translated the ordinances or the directives of the law. God wants His righteous law to be fulfilled through His people. And that happens only when we go through the death process. That makes our lives available to be used by God to fulfill righteousness. So having the Spirit doesn't eliminate our flesh. Because Romans 8 says that it's actually the work of the Spirit that concludes that section. It's the work of the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh in our bodies. And that's what it was talking about back there in in Romans 6 where it says that sin should not have dominion over us. Here in Romans 8, it's saying that the Spirit working in us is putting, will put to death the deeds of the body as we walk after the Spirit. And so it will put to death those things that we used to say that we shouldn't say. 
I had a real problem when I was young with, I developed, intentionally developed, using slang and then worse and worse language when I was in my mid and upper teens. And I distinctly remember, I thought about this, I was studying for this, for this um, message. I distinctly remember using some very, very strong language after I made an out in softball. And there was an older youth there, and he said, I don't remember the exact words he said, but he basically said, that's not a good idea. And boy, that stuck with me. Is this the kind of person that I'm going to be? And when I would hurt myself, things would just come out. Kate, I'd like for you to come up here and help me a little bit. I'm not planning to hurt you. <laughs> come around to this side. Stand right here. And don't spill that. Okay? Look at the congregation. You can keep one eye on the glass if you want to. But don't spill it. Okay? So this kind of brings me to the second aspect of what our words say. Our speech then reveals what is in our heart. So the things that we say, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give account on the day of judgment. For by thy words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So when you get bumped, your life, your heart holds your passions. And your heart is filled up with something. And when you get bumped, what is going to come out? Your passions are going to come out. And sometimes when you just get tense, and you're not even bumped, some stuff will come out. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. I bet you know it. Life bumps. Sometimes life bumps. Sometimes life is tense. What comes out of your heart? Ephesians 5, 3-7 But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks, for this you know, that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. And then verse 12, that same passage. For it is a shameful thing even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. What comes out? What is coming out of your mouth? One of the things that I personally have had to work with is being careful with my jokes. Being careful with my talking. How much foolishness do I just 
spew out of my mouth. That's what it says here. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Those verses speak to me. What comes out of my mouth? And if it comes out of my mouth, then there must be something in here because it's revealing something in here. And it's something that I need to deal with. How close do I like to get to that? How close do I allow myself to get to that? Do I try to walk this fine line between good speech and bad speech? Or do I try to keep my speech clean and good? And consequently then, I'm going to have to deal with the root. I'm going to have to deal with my heart. So I have to keep my heart clean and good. There's another aspect too. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And that is simply not true. Because words do matter. I had a... I still communicate with him some, BB caller, that uh, would call me up and he was having some trouble in his marriage and he would just rant and rave about his wife and about all of her problems and about how evil she was. He would even call her evil. And I would challenge, I challenged him on it. I said, look, you, you cannot be talking about your wife like this and expect to have any see any improvement in your relationship at all. He said, oh, I don't mean it. You don't mean it? then why do you say it if you don't mean it? Because words have meaning. That's why we use them. We use words because they have meaning. And if you use words that are hurtful, then you're going to impart meaning that is hurtful to other people. Is there a reason why the Bible talks about gossip? and false accusations, and deceit, and slights, and condemnation. It is. Because that kind of communication batters and bruises relationships. And relationships are spiritual. And they are more valuable than the physical body. And if we truly believe that the spiritual supersedes the physical, then we will truly never want to hurt in word, even more so than we don't want to hurt the body, the physical body. Ephesians 4, let no corrupt word, King James says communication, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, I'm going to stop there. I want to point out two things. So there's the negative. Don't let the corrupt come out. But then there's also the positive. The good that it may impart grace to the hearer. I'll talk a little bit more about grace later. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So in your speech, do you deal with people the way that Christ has dealt with you? Does your speech line up with what you profess to be? Jesus said, how can you being evil speak good things? And a little bit later in the same passage, they said, we want to see a sign. And he said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. So their words did betray him eventually. But hypocrisy can happen in speech. Does what you say and what you live line up? And how does that happen? If you say you're a Christian, then you're saying that you're a partaker of the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel is, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. And so if you're saying that Christ is in you, but you're also speaking evil of your brother, then Christ is not really in you doing that. And so that's hypocrisy. And James points out that hypocrisy. How can you bless God and curse your brother? That's hypocrisy. That's double-mindedness. Our mind is to be centered on Christ. And if we're saying that we're a Christian, then that's what we're doing. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. So how can we be salty? Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. What what does grace do? What is grace? Grace is a strengthening agent. Let your words be strengthening. Let your words always be strengthening. Speak the truth in love. Why does that matter? Why is that important? Well, truth is what healthy relationships are built on. It's also what a healthy conscience is built on. And so you're both fortifying your own heart and you're fortifying others by speaking the truth. And why in love? Because that is the way that truth is communicated. Love is the way that truth is communicated. So if you want your truth to be communicated, you have to communicate it with love. If you don't, you won't communicate. Always with grace. Make sure your words are sweet in case you have to eat them. I think my mom used to tell me that pretty often. Salt and light. Our words are a testimony of our heart. Are they testifying to the goodness of God? 
does your heart rejoice in the goodness of God? And if it does rejoice in the goodness of God, then your words will rejoice in the goodness of God. I read a couple passages and so many times in the New Testament talks about thanksgiving, giving thanks. Giving thanks for what? Giving thanks for the goodness of God. And who more than us should give thanks for the goodness of God? Here's two ways to think about it. Or kind of summarize the two ways I've been looking at. Dirt allowed in the mind will put dirt in your mouth. Dirt in your mouth will fill your mind with dirt. Did I just say the same thing? Almost. Don't allow your speech to be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may speak to the goodness of God. To the glory of God. To the will of God that your speech will glorify God and be acceptable in His sight. In the same way that the voice of creation speaks to the goodness of God and the glory of God. Because in our fallen state, we do not have the capacity to bring glory to God the way His creation does. But in our redeemed capacity, we have the opportunity to bring Glory to God beyond the rest of his creation. Because we can actually communicate in a way that the rest of the creation cannot. We can speak of the goodness of God in words. I thought about this just as I finished up my notes. The world and you and I were created by the Word of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Words are vital to our being, to who we are, and to the existence of the world. And it's just intriguing to me. When I was in school, they taught me that, I think it was the Phoenicians that came up with alphabetic writing. But that's not actually right. It was a group of people who were slaves in Egypt who spoke a somatic language. So Wikipedia doesn't actually tell you that it was the Hebrews, but alphabetic writing came from, was sourced from, a group of people who were slaves in Egypt and spoke a somatic language. Abraham was a descendant of Shem. Hebrew is a somatic language. God, and it, it happened, and, and the, the source of this is right during the time frame when the Israelites would have been in and moved out of Egypt. God gave us His written law. Alphabetic language, written alphabetic language, is the way to accurately communicate thought. Before, all they had was like the picture, picto language where you draw a picture and the picture means something and it expresses some kind of idea. But with alphabetic writing, you can express individual thoughts very clearly. And as soon 
as alphabetic writing was available, God gave us his law. That's how important words are to him. And our words carry weight. And may God give us the grace, may we appeal to him for the grace to speak in ways that are pleasing to him.